All right, so good day, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Shadow Talk. Of course, I'm Sean from the Digital Shadows team, and I'm also joined with my colleagues, Charles. Hey, how's it going? And with Ivan today. Hey, everyone. Uh, so we'll be broadcasting today from our Digital Shadow Studios, deep from our Deep Ocean Research Center in the Marianas Trench, uh, to bring you the latest and greatest on this week's edition of Shadow Talk. Um, first off, um, of course, kind of the interesting one, especially given the timing is, um, you know, for once, uh, we're not going to talk about ransomware to start off. Uh, we'll actually touch a little bit on the hack for electronic arts. Um, so if you haven't heard, um, you know, of course, electronic arts is a large software developer responsible for some pretty large games, some pretty large releases and things like that over the past few years. Um, but in this latest attack that happened, Within the last week, um, basically Electronic Arts uh, had the source code for their Frostbite engine um, stolen, which is responsible for titles like Battlefield, um, for Star Wars, and a few other titles. Uh, in addition to that, there was source code for FIFA 21, uh, which has been the, the long-awaited sequel to, of course, FIFA 2020, uh, was also taken. Um, and to make things really interesting, uh, basically the, the data itself has been Put up for sale. Um, the claims, according to different news reporting, has been somewhere around 780 gigs of data, um, and it's been advertised for sale in, in a few different, um, you know, your typical forum marketplaces, things like that. Um, EA has confirmed that it ha- that has happened through official statements. Um, and but what does make this interesting is the fact that um, the people behind the theft were actually uh, interviewed and, and admitted to the ways they got in, which basically broke down to um, having a, a stolen cookie for Slack, um, logging into the company Slack instance and basically fooling IT help desk into providing login details so that they could basically log into Slack. And then from there um, just started a cascade of things. Um, so uh, I don't know if you all have had the, chance to kind of look into this but like this is kind of nuts that they were like the way they admitted everything that happened you know yeah i mean i I think it it kind of just goes without saying uh, we've talked about it in the past here before you can have all these security you know things in place but like ultimately like social engineering is is probably one of the most effective forms of of getting onto a network and and accomplishing things uh you know and so I, i think that's just something to keep in mind is trying to always promote that kind of uh, security awareness culture and having people be a little bit suspicious if things seem out of the ordinary, you know? Uh, so. Yeah. That's the one of the things that, you know, kind of struck me was that this was probably a channel uh, that nobody expected to get breached, you know, like everyone's always like, you know, beef up email and patch your vulnerabilities and, you know, make sure your applications are secure and all that stuff. But I bet like, the you know the the guy who is on the other end on Slack you know getting you know hit up by just a normal company user EA's probably got a few thousand employees at least you know so um, you know you're not necessarily thinking about vetting because you're already on an internal application so it's you know it's something that probably you know nobody thought was going to happen and you know it passed the smell test for whatever reason and that's you know how they reportedly got in so it's interesting like like you said it's um you know the the user awareness for social engineering is like 
I, I like, I know I wouldn't have thought of this, you know, like you, you think that somebody that was on Slack was like, good, you know, and what are the processes to check that and stuff. So it's, it's really opens up a lot of interesting questions that, you know, while it was a breakdown, it's like, it could have happened to anybody really. Yep. Yeah. It's definitely one of those things, man. Like uh, you can put Slack behind, you know, Okta or some other form of MFA duo, something like that. Uh, and, but yeah, like if someone gets that cookie and they're able to, to authenticate and poses a user, like it's, it, it really is hard at that point. Like you said, I mean, there's, they've kind of already gotten past some of your mitigations and uh, yeah, not, not a lot you can do there. I think when you have a, a determined adversary who's willing to go that far and can, can pull that off, you know, it's, it's hard to stop somebody from being convincing. So, yeah. And I know, you know, in the past, like things like this, like cookies and, uh, you know, different types of signatures that we've seen for, you know, dumps on people. I mean, you can get them for like pennies on the dollar. So it's like, you know, it doesn't matter. Like if it's a major company, a, a small to medium business, like a lot of that stuff's out there for sale. And that's uh, like, it is dumb cheap to be able to pick that up. So uh, yeah, really interesting that they, they definitely, you know, hit the jackpot on this one for sure. Um, and, you know, this kind of highlights like just over the last year, there's been a, a few different kind of high profile attacks and, you know, announced breaches and things like that. Um, you know, there's CD Projekt Red that, you know, went through uh, having some of their source code leaked. Uh, Capcom also had some problems. Ubisoft, uh, I, I'm never sure if it's, is it Ubisoft or Ubisoft. I'll go with UB. Um, but you know, Fortnite had a had an issue going on with like different phishing emails or attacking users. Uh, words with friends of of all the things to attack. Like you know, Zynga got hit with that. Um, you know, so you're you're dealing at that point, you know, with people's like grandparents that are on there, you know, the kids and stuff like that. So it's it's interesting the amount of different types of titles and developers that have been attacked. And um, what was interesting is some of the things looking back into the overall history is, you know, there's a firm called Kello that's been doing some research on different stuff. And, you know, they found evidence of, you know, different types of um, like dev, uh, you know, dev environments that are kind of left out there unsecured. There's, you know, different types of internal data. So, you know, you have maybe like an exposed service now instance or Jira or, you know, Confluence or all these different types of productivity tools that are sometimes secured with just a password and a login. And, you know, but it's, you know, keys to the kingdom once you get in, then you can see all this internal data and you can see how things are structured and, you know, a really good amount of reconnaissance. So, uh, you know, the whole problem's like we talked about it. I think about a month ago, it was like talking about shadow IT. It's like, you know, focusing on a lot of those things, you know, making sure that those applications are shut down once they're done. And, you, you know, you nuke the instance that's running your dev or, you know, staging environments if you don't need them anymore. Um, so, but, um, you know, I, I think what's interesting about this is the, you know, how it links, the, the timing of this is kind of interesting just because like, you know, there's the big battlefield teaser that just happened within the last couple of weeks. And then they, you know, had the actual gameplay trailer that was this past weekend. And so, you know, I'm curious to see what else happens as we get closer to like, um, you know, EA's has their, has their play event in July. Uh, we just wrapped up E3 with a lot of big announcements. So what I think is interesting is the, the timing of this, like, and it seems like previously some of that has happened. It's been around major product releases and major events. So I'm curious to see you know, what comes next? If there's a, a, another leak, if there's another breach, if, you know, the next big conference, if we see or hear something else, like, I'm, I, you know, the timing's very interesting and it has been. I'd, I'd always just wonder if that's a factor. So, 
Um, but I know like, you know, standing on our soapbox about, you know, keeping things patched and, you know, um, hitting attacks. I know like we just saw something happen with uh, VPNs again, uh, you know, being back in the, in the news. So I don't know, Charles, if you want to take this one. Uh, yeah. So back in, uh, I believe it was in April, Pulse Secure VPN uh, had to disclose that they had been breached. Uh, there's been some more reporting recently that uh, showing, I believe it was Chinese threat actors uh, who actually ended up targeting some pretty large companies, Verizon, uh, some water treatment places. I think the New York subway system was another one that was disclosed. Uh, so it just really kind of strikes me, you know, is that, that trend that we've been seeing lately of uh, the big, like, vendor or supplier kind of third-party compromise stuff uh that people have to look out for you know um i think i think state-sponsored actors have realized you get a lot more uh return on investment going after stuff like that because you can go after a multitude of people uh or organizations uh, for intelligence gathering purposes instead of just having to target like a single organization um and i i think that uh, it's going to be a growing continuing trend for sure so I know that, uh, you know, over the last, just in the, you know, the beginning of the year, we've heard about, you know, things with Pulse Secure or with FortiGate with SonicWall, um, you know, which by all reports basically have had patches deployed. So, you know, in your experience um, or from, you know, maybe what you've seen, like why, why would there be a problem with vulnerabilities still on a network? Like what, I guess, what would cause companies to still be in that between stage? Uh, you know, I, th I think a lot of it is is just uh, a lot of places may not have, you know, mature vulnerability management uh, processes and procedures in place. Um, they may have, you know, understaffed IT departments that can't get patches out or some stuff may have just fallen through the cracks. It's just something that's been on the network that nobody accounted for, um, you know, and I, I think, you know, accidents like that are happen. Those things commonplace, uh, you know, people people mess up. And I, I think that's one of the things is, is that vulnerability management can be such a hard thing for an organization to deal with. Uh, it can be very complex and, and you're never going to get every single thing. Uh, and so ultimately when these things are disclosed though, I, I do think it is on the, the end users to, to go ahead and get in there and make those patches, uh, you know, available and installed on their devices, on their networks and, and try and remediate those things as quick as possible. But uh, unfortunately that's not always the case. Yeah, it's, it's, to me, it's like um, I know that there's been a couple of you know researchers that have kind of called out the community and and trying to get better about you know patch you know patch management for one you know and you know basically the users themselves. But you you touch on a really good point that it's like it's it's a complicated question just because it's like is there is you know is there time to do it? Is there budget? Is there manning? Is there um, you know can they afford downtime while things are getting patched? And like is it going to affect other applications? And you know so there's so many different like questions I think that are there. That, you know you definitely bring up and you know it's it's it definitely becomes like an end user problem. But is it also like something that the vendors could do better on their end too? You know like automatically just push updates or it's you know different types of stuff like that that maybe can mitigate these. It's you know it's super complex, but I I, I do think that there's there's a, some good answers in there. For sure. So diving back into ransomware, um, which is, uh, of course, a favorite topic of just about everybody right now, which we've been consciously trying to avoid because I'm somewhat nervous about, uh, you know, kind of giving more airtime for for a lot of these attacks that kind of breeds on public fear. But in a, in a kind of a good way, though, um, it looks like that we basically um, 
in addition to a couple of others that are going dark, uh, we definitely have you know, one ransomware group that looks like they are not going to be giving us too much problem, at least in their current um, version. So Ivan, what did, what did you find out about um, these latest arrests? Yeah, so recently there have been reports that uh, members of the club ransomware group, they were arrested in Ukraine. Uh, club, they are a very, very well-known ransomware group that we at Digital Shadows have been monitoring here for the past few years, or the past year since they came out. Uh, they are known for you know infiltrating companies, stealing data, and expose, exposing data in their data, data leakage website if the company doesn't pay the ransom. And they are one of the many double extortion ransomware groups uh, today. And they are, they are believed to operate from Russia and they do not target companies in Russia and the CIS region. So as you know, like I know they're they're kind of one of the groups using double extortion stuff. So how you know how large of a player um, have they been? You know, in the criminal world, like any any you know real big attacks that, that have been associated to them. Yeah, so they are a pretty large player in the ransomware threat landscape. Uh, they are well known for a recent supply chain attack that affected multiple companies uh, due to a vulnerability in Axilian FTA software. So which this is a file transfer software by the company Exilium. So they were able to exploit this vulnerability to infiltrate multiple companies, exfiltrate data, and then leak that data on their data leakage website. Of course, if the company didn't pay the ransom. Uh, so this was a very interesting attack because no data was encrypted, which is usual of ransomware attacks. Uh, they just exfiltrated data. Uh, but yeah, uh, they are a very large player in the criminal world and they have been for the past few months. So I know that we've been seeing like some, you know, giant ripples in, in ransomware pretty much since about April or May. Um, so, you know, with, you know, knowing how like right now Avadin is basically almost kind of just fading out um, and sending out their decryptors and, you know, you're, we're seeing the, the pullback from forums and things like that. So what do you, what do you think might happen with a group like Klopp, you know, with uh, a lot of their members being arrested and, you know, how that might affect you know, maybe their operations or, you know, maybe the, the ransomware scene as a whole. Yeah, so it seems like that the individuals that got arrested in Ukraine, they were simply affiliates of the club ransomware brand and the threat actors behind the development of club, uh, they are likely still living in Russia and not apprehended. So, however, what is likely to happen, like we have seen with Darkseid, Egregor and Babu Locker, is that the club brand they may be heavily affected by these arrests and they may be, they may want to abandon the name and start over with a new name or a new brand. So Babu Locker is a very good example. Recently, uh, they changed their name to payload.bin after arrests. And it's also possible that club, they may just seize operations as maybe they're realizing that these law enforcement operations are likely to have a lot of impact in the ransomware threat landscape. And maybe they already they can see that they already made enough money and you know it's time to call it quits. But we really don't know where Club is gonna go from here. It could really go either way. Yeah, that's fair. It's it's interesting to see that you know there's there's like these police things are almost kind of seeming to come out of nowhere. So it's really cool to see that you know whatever cooperation got into that point that it's it's working at some level. So um definitely really interested to see how this continues to develop. Um 
So the um, the one thing I did want to circle back on, um, I know like we finished talking about VPNs and stuff, but um, I know the one thing that looking back in some of the research and stuff was, you know, just to make our listeners aware is, um, you know, the, the one thing with VPNs, it's kind of interesting and, and looking at some of the history is that there have been so many different types of VPN applications that have been somehow breached or compromised or used for malicious intent. So, um, you know, the one thing to be aware of is that, you know, it's, it's, you know, just keeping an eye on and knowing on, you know, what kind of your your software is doing and keeping it patched, I think is um, really key. And, you know, knowing that not everything is secure. I know like Charles has made some really good points before about this. Like I'll give him a chance to get up on a soapbox if he wants, but like, I know, you know, the, there there pr- probably isn't an application out there that isn't 100% secure, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think that's, you, you have to always start from the assumption that there's going to be an issue with something. And uh, like I was just recently watching a talk by somebody at the uh, um, in the UK and, and they were going on about some vulnerability management stuff and, and basically just kind of, uh, Came, came out with the statement that the more money you throw at vulnerability management, uh, the more problems you're going to find. Like it's, it's not like you're going to just solve it by throwing money at it and buying new products, buying more scanning, buying, you know, having more staff, stuff like that. Uh, there's always going to be issues to find. And, and, and so at some point, kind of, I, I think as an industry, we have to kind of see the shift from vulnerability management, patching, you know, updates, moving from, from being an, an IT issue that needs to be addressed to being like a business risk issue that needs to be addressed, like in, in the boardroom, you know, at, at the C-level uh, and having buy-in there and being able to sell it that way and, and show that like these, these are potential issues that can affect like the livelihoods of people and not just like, oh, it's computer stuff, you know, that so many people kind of don't really pay attention to or think about, so... Yeah, that's a super good point. And I know like it's something that I'm definitely not to take the credit on. This is something I know you said before, Charles, is basically like, you know, no matter what, if you have somebody that's determined enough to try to get in, they're going to get in. You know, it's like if it's a zero day, if it's a published exploit, if it's you know, whatever it is, I mean, there's always going to be a way in, you know, like so it's, you know, it's nothing's ever 100 percent safe. So, um, yeah, I just want to. As defenders, we, we've got to make sure we get everything right all the time and, and attackers only have to get lucky once. So yeah, that's exactly right. You know, and I think that's one thing um, I, I wanted to, you know, make sure was kind of clear is that, you know, it's not, it's not just, you know, the, the, the vendors necessarily, it's not just because it's, you know, pull security or Fortigate or anybody else, you know, it's the, you know, there, there've been problems with all kinds of VPNs and all kinds of applications that, you know, it's not just one vendor and it's not just their fault. You know, there's, it, it happens all the time, you know? So, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It just takes one, one bad incident and that's, that's all it takes while we're, you know, basically uh, batting against a thousand different mosquitoes, you know? So. Exactly. So. Oh, cool. Um, well, I definitely appreciate the chat today, fellas. Um, you know, we're, basically coming up towards the end. So of course, this is time for us to get our plugs in. So uh, this week, we actually have three different blogs that have come out. Uh, We're talking about Euro 2020, um, some of the threat assessments that come out of that. Um, Hopefully, everyone's picked a team to follow. Of course, I'm Team Italy, just because my teammate is also from there. So just the way it goes. Um, I also wrote a blog that just came out today about uh, talking about intelligence requirements and, you know, more focused on the sort of ad hoc requirements that you come up with as 
somebody who's trying to get basically a request for information or just to find out more info. So basically how to, you know, how to think about setting up intelligence requirements. It's not going to mean you're a graduate of any sort of uh, three-letter agency tradecraft school, but at least get you understanding, you know, kind of the basics of what's there and what happens behind the scenes. Um, and of course, we also had a dark web monitoring blog that came out. Um, this week, we should also be seeing a couple of special guest, guest podcasts coming out. Um, AJ Nash of Anomaly was kind enough to sit with us. Um, and so we should have that podcast publishing uh, within the next couple of days here. Next week, uh, we'll also have a deep dive with the founders of Pulse Dive, which is a uh, kind of an all-in-one free Intel feed uh, and you know uh, platform basically for different types of intelligence work. Um, really great stuff and, and kind of a cool company with a cool product. Uh, so next month at the beginning, we will be rolling out a new feature to sign up for a weekly newsletter. Um, there will probably be a contest associated with that. So stay tuned for further details um, more as we find out. Um, but until next time, uh, we'll see you all in two weeks. Thanks again for listening to Shadow Talk.